Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. How you doing, 930? You doing good? Solid answer. Great to see you today, those of you who are here and in our overflow space as well. Uh, my name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I am so excited to be with you. This is a really exciting season uh, for our church as God continues to grow us both deep and wide. I don't know if you noticed uh, next door, uh, we're building uh, and expanding our space. We're uh, building a whole new transformation center where we'll be able to have a new auditorium that um, triples the size of this auditorium and has more room for small groups and more room for connection and, uh, and for people uh, to gather together. There's parking. I mean, that's what's amazing. People are, are calling the parking lot the sanctuary. So it's a very exciting time for our church. And what's been really fun for Jeannie and I and a number of our staff and volunteers is being able to lead people through the space for the very first time. And so I just want to let you know, uh, if you haven't seen the new space yet, a lot of you received an email with an invite. We would encourage you to RSVP for that. Uh, but if not, if maybe you're kind of new around here or just kind of coming on board, we want you to see what God is up to and what God does through ordinary everyday people like you and me when we trust him with our faith, with our prayer, with our resources. And so right after this gathering, there's actually going to be a tour and you could head straight out to the lobby, to the cafe, right over by our cafe. If you have not received an email about being on the tour, or you want to see and be a part of what God's doing, walk through this space. It's an amazing space. We're only going to do these for another couple weeks, so I'd encourage you to sign up or to show up to be a part of that. It is a powerful, powerful time. Uh, and we are continuing in a teaching series that I kicked off last week called An Unstoppable Force, where we're looking at how we can live unbeatable, undefeatable, unimaginable lives with God together. What does it look like when we get a picture of the life that God created us for and has called us to and actually begin to live that out in our lives? So if you missed last week, go to our podcast. You can catch up on there. You're going to want to do that. And I hope you don't miss any of the weeks over the course of this month. It's an exciting time for us. But I realized as I was getting into our message today and preparing for this that I, uh, I need some help. Like I need help to help you get what I think we're going to be going after today. So I'm going to call on some people to volunteer. I'm going to make some people volunteer. So I'm going to ask you to come up and I'm going to ask you and you and you to come up. And, yeah, I'm looking at you. Like, don't look away when I'm looking at you because <laughs> they all see me seeing you. So you guys can come up and I'm going to ask you to come up right in the corner. So come on up, everyone come on up to the stage. And this is the stage. So this is when I say come up to the stage. You come up right here. Just there's a step right there if you want it. Awesome. I called you too. Yeah, no, you don't get a pass. Yep, come on up. <laughs> It's all right. No, it's all right. It's all right. You didn't. It was, it's confusing. You can't see through the glasses. I get it. All right. All right. So I'm going to ask you to come stand with me. Tell me your name. Jennifer. Jennifer. So this is Jennifer. Everyone say hi to Jennifer. Jennifer. Here's what I'm going to have you guys do. I want you guys to form a little circle. All right. So you guys can huddle up into a little circle. Yep. Now. Yep. It's a good time. And Jennifer, here's your job. Mm -hmm. You have to do whatever you have to do to get into the middle of that circle. Okay. So pulling hair is... Okay. I was, let me give the disclaimers. No kicking, no pulling hair, no biting. This is church, so play, act like it. All right, so you guys, listen. You don't have a ton of time, so you need to huddle up and figure out what you're going to do. I want you to come over here. I'm going to give you five seconds to do whatever you have to do to get into the middle of that circle. Okay, they, they've already formed an alliance. All right, so are you ready? Yeah, right now? And go. Five, four, three. That's tickling, too. One. That was a great strategy, Jennifer, but the tickling failed. Can we give her a hand? Give them a hand. You guys can link up. That was great. That was smart. Linked arms. 
tickling, I don't know. It was, a stra- it was a strategy. It was a strategy. It was a strategy. All right, so Jennifer, your instructions were really clear. Your instructions were to get into the middle of that circle, right? I made that really, really clear for you. Uh, at any point, did I ever tell you guys to keep her out of the middle of the circle? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I never told you to keep her out. I just encouraged her to get in. And the reason I wanted to start the message with that is because when it comes to community, this is so often what we do. Unknowingly, this is what we do. Without realizing it, we kind of link arms and we huddle up and we, we kind of experience it and all this stuff for us, but we make it really hard for anyone else on the outside to experience what we're experiencing. It's not because we're bad people. They're not bad people. I'm the bad guy. This was a setup. I set them up for this illustration. It's not because we're bad people or anything, not like we're selfish or self-absorbed people. It's not that. It's because so often the circles that we find and form in our lives are facing the wrong way. So can we thank these guys for illustrating and volunteering? Great job, Jennifer. Great job, everyone. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do we find and form better circles in our lives? Better circles that actually transform us and transform the lives of those around us. We're looking at the book of Acts, the very first church, to get sort of our vision for what this church is meant to be in this city in this time. So what I want you to do is actually grab a Bible. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter four. If you have a Bible with you and you brought it, fantastic. If it's on your phone, awesome. If not, there should be a gray Bible right in front of you, both here and in overflow. Would you go ahead and grab a gray Bible, grab a pen. We're going to circle some things, take some notes, and then have some homework coming out of our time together today. So grab a Bible and turn to page 761 in the gray Bible. 761, Acts chapter four. Now in Acts chapter four, the very first church was only a couple months old at best at this point where we're coming into the story. So that's a little context on that. And what was forming, what God was doing was God was making and forming the very first sort of biblical community, which we now call the church. Now this church, we talk a lot about biblical community. We talk a lot about the value of it, how important it is and what it means for us to get into a circle. But I wanna be really clear when we talk about community, I wanna be really clear with what we're really talking about. What are we really talking about when we talk about community? So let's just be really clear. This is not community, okay? This is wonderful. This is beautiful. This is significant. Those of you who are in this room, those of you who are in the overflow space, those of you watching online, this is not community. This is important as we looked at last week, gathering together like this is important, but this is not community. In fact, Dr. Gilbert Rizikian, a mentor of mine from the very first church job I ever had, said it best. He said this, He said, sitting in rows of chairs and looking at each other's backs for one hour per week can hardly be described as communal life. This is not community. This is important, but it's not community. What we're about to look at in Acts chapter four, that's what God is talking about when we talk about biblical community. We're gonna look at what an unstoppable force of biblical community actually looks like. So let's jump in. Acts chapter four, verse 32. This is the very first church. Let's look at what they committed themselves to. It says this, all the believers were what? All the believers were one in heart and mind. There was a unity. There was a common core vision that they had for their lives. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they what? They shared every thing they had. 
Now, just in this one verse, we get an unbelievable picture of uncommon living. That there is a unity, there was a, a, a shared vision for their lives and for biblical community that, that was forming for the very first time in human history. There was no playbook for them to go off of. They were just responding to the promptings and the leadership and the vision that God had given them. And they had this unity of vision and they began to look at their stuff and say, who needs it? Who, who here has need? They shared everything they had, their time, their homes, their meals, their resources with each other. And it says this in verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify. That means to tell the story, to tell the account to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them who? In them all. You might want to circle that because it wasn't just the church leaders that God's work, you know, was working through powerfully in mighty ways. It wasn't just the church leaders. It was everyday ordinary folk like you and me. God's power was being manifested in them through this uncommon living and the shared vision that they have, which we've come to call biblical community. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. There was no needy persons, no physical need or emotional or spiritual need. They were meeting each other's needs through God's love and God's grace. The needs of those around them were actually being met. And it says this is what they began to do from time to time. Those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to the 1%. Is that what it says? <laughs> it was distributed to anyone, anyone, everyone who had need. Now, this is similar to what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 2. There's a similar account. We begin to see the seeds of this biblical community forming, this revolution of the church was filled up with everyday ordinary folks who were living uncommon lives of grace. They saw grace and growth and generosity as inseparable values, that this is what it means to live life together with God. And because of their love of God and their care for others, thousands and thousands of people were being changed, were being saved, transformed is the word we would use. By God's love, in real time, thousands and thousands of people were being drawn to what God was doing. Again, we looked at this last week, 3,000 people the first day, 5,000 at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, 5,000 more people. And that's just the men that they counted in those days. So we're at easily at 10, maybe 12,000 people at the very first church a couple months after it started. And what you've you got to pay attention to in this account and what we read last week is as the church continues to get big, it also does something else. It continues to get small. And people began to get a vision for what it means to form little circles, little circles of community, little circles of, of transformation and as God added to their number daily, they began to open up their homes, they began to open up their lives, and these little circles began to pop up. And this is where we get our vision for biblical community. 
this is what is at the center and the heart of what we do here. You hear us talking about small groups and why we make such a big deal about small groups. This is actually why. Now, just by show of hands, for those of you who are here in our overflow space and I don't raise your hand if you're watching online too for this next one. You're the only one that's gonna see it, but just play along. Uh, here's the deal. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a Soul City small group at any point before. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of it. That's awesome, a lot of people. Our hope and prayer is that everyone would experience biblical community through a small group here at Soul City Church or at somewhere, some church, some community in your life. I've been a part of small groups for a long time now. In fact, my very first small group was when I was 15 years old in the ninth grade we didn't call it a small group at the time, but I had a guy, there was a guy in our church, his name was Dan, and he was responsible for, I don't know if he chose it or if it was just handed to him, he was responsible for the ninth grade guys at my church. And so what Dan would do is every Tuesday morning, he would drive to each of our houses and pick all of us up, about seven or eight guys, all ninth graders, mind you, and fit us all into his 86 yellow sob. This is very illegal. I want to let you know there were not seatbelts for everyone if our parents only knew what was going on. We would all cram into his car and he'd have donuts waiting for us and then he would drive us to one of the guy's homes and we would open up God's word together at six in the morning. We would get together before school and we would open God's word together. We'd study the Bible together. He would make us pray. He made us pray, but that's okay because we made him pay for the donuts. And so it all worked out. It all, it all worked out. And then he would drive us all to school. And so from a very young age, I got a vision of this kind of community, what it actually looks like to be with others. And it's been a part of my life, thankfully, been a part of my life all the way through. In fact, here at Soul City Church, uh, my friend Mark and I have been leading a men's group for six years now. Six years we've been leading uh, different men's groups here in the church. I love being a part of this kind of circle, and I love leading and contributing to these kinds of circles here in our church. Six years now, that's like three times longer than any cell phone contract I've ever had. I've been committed to this idea of this circle, of being with each other. And I've gotten a little taste since ninth grade till now of what we just read about in Acts chapter four. I've had the privilege of sharing my life with others and them sharing their lives with me. I've been at their weddings when they got married, been to the hospital when they were sick, been to the hospital when they had their kids, sat with them and next to them at funerals for people that they love. Several friends of mine have actually found Jesus through circles like this. I've had the privilege of getting a taste of what it's like to actually experience what we see here in Acts chapter four. And that's the value of being with. Incredibly important. There is a huge, tremendous value in our lives to actually being with each other, especially in the day that we live in. Because even while we're more connected, I mean, this last week I was connecting with people on Instagram that I've never met before in person, but they were coming to Chicago and I gave them recommendations for everywhere they should eat and everywhere they should hang out. And we've never met each other face to face. That's the world we live in. But simultaneously, we live more isolated than ever before. And especially in a big city like this, it's so easy to feel lost and overlooked in the shuffle of all the people. And we're experiencing in our culture more than ever before an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. It's leading to record high suicide rates, 
It's leading to people leaving their families because they just feel alone and misunderstood. It is tragic what people are experiencing when it comes to isolation and loneliness. In fact, in fact, that may be exactly what you're feeling right now this morning. The reason you came here is because of the hope of finding some connection, some people to see you, to know you, to be with you. And I'm so glad you did because that's what we are here for is to be with you because we need to be with each other more than we even realize. A lot of study and research has been done on the effect of loneliness and isolation in our modern day. And what they found is that for those who experience loneliness for a sustained period of time, it actually increases the likelihood of mortality by 26%. That means it increases your odds of death by 26% if you continue to live isolated and alone. Just so you get how significant that is. That's the same mortality rate, increase in mortality rate, as if you were to smoke 15 cigarettes a day. That's how much it takes off of your life when you live alone. So the lesson obviously is clear. If you're gonna smoke, don't smoke alone. <laughs> no, that's actually not. Jeannie, Jeannie told me I couldn't say that joke after the 8 a.m., but I had to. I told her, it's funny. I'm committed. I'm com I had to. You get the idea. We need, we need to be with each other more than we even know. In fact, it's safe to say your life depends on it. Your life depends on you having meaningful connections and being with each other. And I've had the privilege of teaching and talking about and experiencing for myself the value of being with for many years now. And lots of times when I'll do a message like this, I'll talk about how important it is to be with, to be with, to be with. And that's true. It is incredibly, incredibly important. But it's not actually the whole picture because I can get with lots of places other than church, other than biblical community. You can experience being with others with your high school friends or your college friends. Jeannie, my wife, has been getting together with this circle of high school friends since their freshman year in high school. Every year they get together. They've been doing it for many years. I won't say how many. Many years. You can experience with there. You can experience with with coworkers that you actually like. People that you choose to spend time with off the clock. And maybe you've made some friends at work and you like hanging out with them. You can experience with with them. You can experience with with your adult kickball team that you're on. You can find friends and community and circle like that. With is incredibly important, but it's not actually the whole story. Because what we see in Acts chapter 4 was not only that they were with each other, but more importantly, that they were for each other. They were not only with each other, they were for each other. They cared about each other in such a way that they were willing to lay down their lives, their time, their possessions for each other. They cared about the good of God being experienced not only in their own little circle, but beyond them, beyond their circle. And that's why God kept drawing people to what he was doing there. Because you can get with lots of places, but finding a circle that's actually for each other and for others around them, that's uncommon. And that's actually unstoppable. And it was 
just as counterintuitive in their day as it is in our day today, because this is not normal for us. We live in a culture where we're taught, where you're, you know, exposed to this idea that you got to look out for you. It's all about you. You got to take care of yourself, get your needs met. And that's great. And that's fine. And that's good. But choosing to live for others, that is counterintuitive. And it was even more so in the day of the first church. In the days of the first church, the poor were greatly neglected and abused, treated as property, unbelievable. So to say we are for the poor and the oppressed around us was radical. Women and children were seen as second-class citizens in that day. And to say we are for the equality of every single person created in God's image was radical, that we are for community, for men and women and children, for anyone and everyone. That is radical. It's one thing to be with. It's actually another to be for. Because what we so often do in our lives when we find and form little circles is we tend to find a lot of people just like us, and we put ourselves in the middle of the circle, and our hope is that they will be there with us, and maybe even for us. And that's fine, and that's good, and you can find that a lot of different places where you surround yourself with kind of like-minded folks that are into the same things you're into and care about the same things you care about. But everything shifts and everything changes when you begin to say, wait a second, they're not just here for me. I'm here for them. And if there's things that they need in their life, places where I can actually give of myself for them, that's what I'm committed to. And when this begins to, this idea of being for each other begins to infect a circle like this, what inevitably begins to happen over time is you begin to see, hey, wait a second, there are others out there who aren't experiencing what we're experiencing in here. And at one point, I was on the outside too. And so why wouldn't we, if we're committed to being for each other, why wouldn't we be for others? What if we could actually have a greater sense of purpose and meaning to our circle by infusing it with the value of actually being for others? What if, in fact, this is the point of it all, that it's not just about surrounding yourself with people like you, but that you get people around you that you are for and that are for you, and then you say together, how can we be for others? In fact, this is the picture of biblical community that we see in Acts chapter 4, and this is what God created you for. God formed you to be for others. Let me say that again. God formed you in his image to be for others, to care about, to be with, and to be for others. God formed you in his image. What does that mean? That means that the God who you are created in the image of is a God who we see promised throughout the Bible is with you at all times. He is with you. His presence is with you. Whether you even realize it or not, he is with you. But as we see through the Bible, as is evidenced through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, as it evidenced through the Holy Spirit being poured out into the lives of those who say yes to God, as is evidenced through God's grace being made available to people like me, we see that God is not only with us, but God is for us. Did you know that God is actually for you? 
Or have you been running from God because you thought he was against you? Or have you been resisting God in areas of your life because you're so afraid of him and what he might do? And you miss the fact that he's actually for you. God formed you to be for others because you're made in the image of a God who is always with you and always for you. And when you get that, you get what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter two. Years after this account in Acts chapter four, someone who was an enemy of this way of living, an enemy of the church, his name was Saul, had an encounter with God where he was broken by the fact that God was for him. And he said yes to Jesus and became a leader in the church. In fact, the greatest church leaders of the first church in all of church history is a guy named Paul, wrote about half of the New Testament. And what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two is a picture and invitation. In fact, for those of us who've said yes to Jesus and are committed to this kind of biblical community, it's our mandate. This is what he said, Philippians two, three, and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That means it's all about me. Don't start there out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, when we begin to do this for each other, it begins to infect and affect our vision of biblical community. And we begin to see that God has created us for and called us to something far greater than it just being all about me. That he's created me to be with and for others. So question for you, who in your life are you for? Who in your life are you fundamentally for? You're for their benefit. You're for their good. You're for God's best in their life. Who are you for? And who do you know is for you? Do you have people in your life that you know, no, they're for me. They're for me. Another way of saying it is this, who do you got that's got your back? Who do you have in your life that's, you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if there was a need, they'd be the first responders. Because they're for me and I'm for them. And we need this, we actually need this more than we even know. So who are you for? And who do you have in your life that's actually for you? I love when we get to see this lived out at, in this church. Again, the church is a place where we get to practice and hopefully perfect biblical community. And there's so many examples of folks trying to live this out, to be for each other and to be for others. Or the story of someone in our church who uh, their house quite unexpectedly flooded and the damage was so bad and it covered so much of the house that they had to move out for a couple weeks, actually, for repairs to be done. And rather than going to a hotel or rather than trying to figure out that, they had a community of people, a circle of people around them said, why don't you just come stay with us? We got an extra room. Come stay with us. Until the repairs are done, you can move back in. Don't worry about it. That's what it's here for. It's for you. That's biblical community. 
not long ago, there was a woman in our church whose mother passed away and her funeral was out of state. And for those of you who've lost a parent, you just know how heartbreaking that is. You've lost someone you love. You know how heartbreaking that is. And all you want when you're sitting at that funeral is someone sitting with you. People who've got your back. And so they reached out to their small group and said, hey, you know, my, my mom's passed away and I'm headed to the funeral. Can you pray for me? And their circle decided to not only pray for them, but they said, well, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We'll go with you. To another, like, out of state, we'll go with you. Take time off work, rearrange our lives so that we can actually be with you. Because by being with you in this hour of need, it's a way for us to show you that we're for you. Not long ago, someone in our church was about to have their second child and they kind of had it all planned out and all the, you know, the due the delivery date and parents were going to come into town and they had the whole master plan. It was awesome. It was perfect. Uh, and then life happened as it so often does. And the baby came early and they didn't have any family in town. And so someone from our church said, look, you obviously need to go to the hospital and you can't leave your toddler at home alone. There's laws about that. I'll just come over and watch them so that you don't even have to worry. I'll take care of your kid so that you can go to the hospital. In fact, I'll stay here with them until your parents get here. That's biblical community. I have a need. Who's for me? They have a need. How can I be for them? Last story, just recently, uh, someone in our church, their child was um, unexpectedly sick and had to go to the ER. They weren't sure what it was and... Um, and so they ended up spending about the whole day at the ER trying to figure out what was going on. And if those of you who are parents and you've had to sit in that spot in the waiting room in the ER and you don't know what's going on, you feel anxious and you feel so out of control. So this couple reached out to their small group here, their community, and they said, hey, can you pray for us? We're at the hospital. We don't know what it is. Please pray for our child. And, and so then what the group did is they actually started another text chain and said, hey, while they're at the ER, Let's go over to their house and let's clean their whole house for them and have dinner waiting for them when they get home tonight. And that's what they did. Whole house cleaned, came home, there was a meal waiting for them. Who does that? That's people who are for each other. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a part of that kind of community that lives those kind of lives that are committed to each other in that kind of way? that know to the core of who they are. I already got that God is with me and God's for me, so why wouldn't I be with you and for you? I get, I already got that he's for me. Why wouldn't I be for you? In fact, that's what our hope is. That's what we're up to here at Soul City Church. We wanna be that kind of community that says with joy and authenticity that God is with me and for me so that I can be with you and for you. God is with me and for me, so I can be with you and for you. So here, in fact, this is so important. Here's what I want you to do here in an overflow as well. And again, if you're watching online, just find someone next to you. And I want you to turn to them. I want you to, everyone turn to someone next to you right now. Go ahead and look them in the eyes right now. And we're going to repeat that to each other. I want you to just repeat this after me while looking at each other. God is with me and for me, so I can be with you and for you. Isn't that a powerful thing to say? God is with me and for me, so I can be with you and for you. Can you imagine every person who walks into our church for the very first time feels that? These are a bunch of people. I barely even know them. I just felt that I was loved, accepted. They care about me. 
Why? Because they already got that God is with them and for them. They've been formed in God's image to be with and for others. When you get that and that it's established that your identity and your meaning and your place in this world isn't attached to another person, but it's firmly rooted and established in who God is, that God is with you and for you. When you get that, it changes the way you look at relationships because now I'm not counting on you for my meaning, my significance, and my place in this world because anything could happen. You could go, you could change, things could change, you could move, and I will still be okay because I know the God who is with me and for me. And when I get that settled and secured, I can be with you and for you because he's already done this for me. Can you imagine being part of that kind of community? That kind of circle of people that cared for each other and cared for others and looked after those around them. A community that was actually for our neighborhoods and for our city that was actually for the, the poor and the neglected and the oppressed in our city, that we saw them and we said, I'm for you, I'm with you, and I'm for you. That was actually for the students and the parents and the families and the teachers and faculty of our most neglected and overlooked schools in CPS, specifically our partnership with Brown and Dett Elementary School. When we show up, what we're saying is we're with you, we're for you. What do you need? How can we help? Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a community that was actually for people that are different than you, that look different than you, that's actually for black folks and Hispanic folks and Asian folks and Indian folks and Middle Eastern folks and white folks, and it doesn't matter. We have a different story. We have a different history. I just know this. God is with me and for me, so why wouldn't I be with you and for you? Why wouldn't I stand for you when there's injustice against you? I'm with you, I'm for you, because that's already been done for me. Can you imagine what it would look like to be a part of a community that was actually for, with and for our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community that didn't just give it lip service, but actually was with and for them, that was actually with and for the people of El Salvador. And even though they're hundreds of miles away, we can say our hearts are connected to you. We're with you. We're for you. Can you imagine being a part of a community that was actually with and for people who didn't believe what they believed? That you could actually be with and for people that don't care about the God you care about. That's what happens when we get how God is with us and for us, we begin to practice it and perfect it in little circles all over this church and all over the city where we commit ourselves to not only being with, but to actually being for each other. So how do we do that? Well, I'm gonna give you some homework and then we're gonna close our time together, I think in a perfect way. So two groups for two different homework assignments, all right? So you need to pay attention and figure out which group you're in. First homework assignment, for those of you who are already in a small group or are already a part of one of our serving teams. So if you're in a circle around here at Soul City Church, does that make sense? If that's you, if in any way you're already connected to a circle of people, whether, you know, it's not perfect, but you know, you're connected to a serving team, a small group, right? We got it. That's you. All right, here's your homework assignment. You need to ask at least one person or preferably the people in that circle this question today. I want you to ask this question today. You can text them. You can look them better face-to-face. -face, call them. Send them an email. Here's the question. How can I be for you this week? You might want to jot that down. Simple question. How can I be for you this week? What would it look like for me to be for 
you this week? What would that look like? And they may just say, you know what? Just uh, encourage me or pray for me. Or they may say, you know what? I'm moving. And that's when you drop out of the text dialogue and (laughs) thank God for the diverse community of people that there are many who are here to care for them. Whatever it is. And here's going to be the challenge and the test for you. Are you willing to give of yourselves for them? Whatever that may mean. That's the first homework assignment. You got that? All right, for those of you then, this is the second homework assignment. For those of you who may not yet, for whatever reason, be in a small group or on a serving team, maybe you're new around here, you've just started coming, you're just coming back to church, here's your homework assignment, okay? You ready for this? This is your homework assignment. I want you to have a conversation. I want you to stop by our volunteers that are part of our next team uh, right after our gathering. They're out in the lobby and all that next is, all that it's committed to doing is helping you find your circle around here. That's all we wanna do. We wanna help you find your circle community, of serving and significance and helping make a difference around here. So if you have yet to take that step, that's it. That's your homework is go find one of our next team members. They'll be out in the lobby. You can talk to them afterwards. They would love to help you do that. And we would love to be that kind of church, that kind of community that commits ourselves to doing what God has already done for us, to being with and for each other. And as we close out this message and respond to God together in worship, I couldn't think of a better way and more perfect timing than for us to stop and to remember and to celebrate communion together. This is something that Jesus instructed his followers to do right before the church started, right before. He gathered them together and he showed them what it means to really be with and to be for. In fact, the Bible says he took two elements from a table as he gathered there with his friends. He took bread and he broke it. He said, I want you to know that every time you see bread, it's to be a reminder to you of my body broken for you. And what does that mean, his body? That means that God actually physically came to be with us. I came to be with you. And then he took a cup and he filled it with wine. And he said, every time you drink this cup, it's to be a reminder to you of my blood, the new covenant that we have with God, the new way for relationship with God, the only thing that can actually forgive you of your sins. And I offer it freely for you. I give my life for you, with and for. And so I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done praying, our amazing volunteers are going to come pass out a little gluten-free cracker and a cup. And here's all I want you to do. Just hold on to it, okay? That's all you need to do. Hold on to it and we'll receive it together in just a moment. But I want you to, as you do, reflect on the reality of a God who is with you and for you and how he's actually formed you to be the same. So let me pray for us as we move into communion. Jesus, thank you for this perfect example of you being with us and for us and this uncommon, unbelievable invitation you've given us to do the same. God, we don't want to just be a group of people that attends a gathering once a week. We want to participate. We want to create. We want to reimagine this kind of biblical community where we actually have around us people who care for us and who we care for. And we look at those outside of that circle differently. And we consider how we might care for them because Jesus, that's what you did for us. And so now help us as we reflect on that reality to do the same. Thank you for these two elements that remind us 
of just that. It's in your name because of your body and your blood that we pray. Amen.